morning, everybody. Good. When my wife and I returned from overseas, realizing that we were not going to be able to go back to our country, we realized the most important thing we would have to do is something we had never done in our entire marriage, and that was buy a house. And thinking about that daunting challenge, what all that entails, you have to think about price, you have to think about place, you have to think about neighborhood, you have to think about access to amenities, and all the things that go into that, it's a pretty profound choice that one makes, because in the end, you're really not looking for a house, are you? Especially at our age. We're looking for a home. We're looking for a place that we can stay long term. We're looking for a place where we can fit in, where we can actually rest and call this our place. Think about what God is doing in preparing for us a home and what that home is going to be like. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look into these Two chapters, and I pray, Father, that you'd give us your grace and your understanding that we would clearly and joyfully see what awaits us. We pray these things in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. If you turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21, we're going to look at chapter 21, 1 to 22, 5. Obviously, we're not going to look at every single verse, but what we're talking about today is obviously what? It's heaven. Heaven is a great idea to contemplate, and it's not just some ethereal idea way out there in the sky someplace. It, it is real, it is true for us. When we look at the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is not just about images, it's not just about people making maps of things, it's not just about scary images. The book of Revelation is a book that calls all of us as believers to resilience and to faithfulness in the midst of a very dark and sinful world, faithfulness to follow Him, and a book that reminds us of God's faithfulness to His promises, God's faithfulness to His character. So it's a book that we should be reading, we should be studying. In fact, John himself calls people to read this and says the person who reads this book is actually going to be blessed. And so for us, as we come to the last two chapters of the book, I trust that we're going to receive that blessing. It's a clarion call for us as a church to be totally involved in the gospel, totally involved in the ministry that God has given to us until He calls us home, until He brings the new Jerusalem down to this earth. And Revelation is also a book that in this book, for many, many chapters, we see finally God's judgment and God's justice carried out in this world. And we see evil judged and evil exposed for what it truly is. But when we come to the latter part of the book, these last two chapters, The main theme I want us to grasp and I want us to understand is this, that the new Jerusalem for us completes, the new Jerusalem completes God's entire program for creation. And therefore, this new Jerusalem is something that we can think about, we can look for, we can pray about, we can work for, we can contemplate, because that's what God calls us to do in faithfulness to that response. So a reminder again, The New Jerusalem is the completion of God's program of creation, going all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2, and God completes that program of creation in Revelation 21 and 22. 
And for us, it's a call for us to be faithful. And faithfulness for us is a call to contemplate heaven and to live in light of its truths now. Now. So what do these chapters talk to us about? What do they explain to us about? There's an awful lot here, and I obviously want us to focus on this new home that is going to be ours. First of all, it is a place of undiminished beauty. A place of undiminished beauty. The first thing that you've got to be impressed by is its size, just how large this city, this new Jerusalem is. Turn, if you would, to chapter 21. Look at verses 15 and 16 and following. He says this, And the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its wall. And the city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as the width, and he measured the city with the rod, 1,500 miles. Its length and width, and notice please, its height are equal. And he measured its wall, 72 yards according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. We'll come back and pick up a little bit about what that wall is talking about. But look about the size. Think about the size of this thing. A majestic cube, 1,500 miles, wide, broad, and high. That is the new Jerusalem. Coming down out of heaven as a gift from God to this world on this new heavens and new earth. It's not that we're going to go up into the sky. It's that heaven is coming down to this brand new, renewed heaven and earth. And we will be partaking of and joining in and living in this city. It's a city of immensity. It's a city of symmetry. It's a city of beauty. It's a city that is so large, its majesty just stands out to us in all of its glory. And we will partake of that. We will live in that city. But it doesn't stop there. It's a city of glory. It's a city of light. It's a city that he describes... John describes as a place of no night, filled with the glory of God, and overwhelming in terms of its color and its splendor. Chapter 21, verse 18 and following, all the way down to 25. Notice, please. The material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold. Not gold like we cover over something, a layer of gold. Pure gold, all the way through gold, like Clear glass. The foundations of the stone, excuse me, foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each one of the gates a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Skip to verse 23. And the city has no need for the sun or of the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of the Lord has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations shall walk by its light. And the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. And in the daytime, for there shall be no night there, 
His gates shall never be closed. A city of light, undiminished beauty, a city of glory, a city of great color. There's a lot of debate about what all these stones mean and whether or not we actually are accurately understanding what these stones are. But the thing that is impressive about all of these stones is the color, the magnificence, the brightness, the splendor of this. This is just the walls of the city. But there is no night there. All light there. Because there in the city is the glory of the Lord. It's illumined the city and the lamp of the city is the Lamb of God Himself. So immense size, glorious light and splendor of the light and all of the color that shines around us, that's the city that we will be a part of. That's the home that will be ours forever. But in terms of the description of the new Jerusalem, notice the words he uses to describe the city. All the way back to chapter 21, verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Interesting, notice please. Coming down out of heaven from God. In fact, it's interesting, in this chapter, the New Jerusalem actually never lands. It is always coming down. For John to see it in all of its beauty continues to come down as if God Himself is reminding us, this is my gift to you. This new Jerusalem, but please notice the description of the new Jerusalem. Made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. The verbs in that description of the bride is this is a permanent transformation, a permanent change. She will, this city will always be as a bride. Always decked out and dressed as and prepared for and adorned as a bride. And it never stops. That's the permanent position, the permanent splendor of this city, of this home for us. We will never get bored there. Think about that. You stay in your home, you get in your home, the first month is fine, and after that, two months, three months, three years, it's like, okay, I know where everything is. The house is just, I'm just used to it. We're never going to get used to it. It's going to be beautiful, glorious, colorful, splendid, majestic all the time. He doesn't stop there. Turn to, excuse me, go to verse 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, come here, I shall show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So interestingly, the new Jerusalem is called the bride. The church has been called the bride. God in His descriptions of beauty and symmetry and order and splendor uses this image. Throughout Scripture, Israel was called the bride. The church is called the bride. The new Jerusalem in heaven is called a bride. The wife of the Lamb who carried me away, carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city. So to see this city still coming down, He carries me to a high mountain so I can actually see it coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God that glory that Moses asked to see, that God said you can't see. We're going to see it displayed before us all the time. All the time in the heavenly city that we will be a part of. John goes on in his description. 
Her brilliance was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. It had a great and high wall with 12 gates and all the 12 angels and names were written on them, which are those of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. Three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. And the walls of the city had 12 foundation stones. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So as we think about heaven, it's not just for the church, it's for Israel. It's for all believers from time immemorial all the way until the end of time. Israel and the church both manifest here in this heavenly home. Here in this heavenly city. This Lamb, this bride prepared for the Lamb in all of its splendor and all of its color And John, in his description of seeing this city prepared for the Lamb in all of its glory, he's reminded of how this this continuity of this city and all the people that are a part of it, from Old Testament believers to New Testament believers, present-day believers, past believers, all together as a part of this city. What a great place. So verse 5 sums it up for us. He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I am making all things new. So for us as believers, when we think of 2 Corinthians 5.17, we are new creation. We are part of the new creation that God is at work doing now in building His church. But this now, this right here, as John looks at it, is a continual work. At one time, there will be complete. In fact, we'll get to that here shortly. God is making all things new. A new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, prepared for the Lamb. And we are a part of that. All of us like things new, don't we? You like new socks, even. You like new t-shirts, even. We all like new... Th- this is going to be everything new. Everything new. Such that we will, as I said, never, ever, ever reach a point where we say, okay, I'm done with this. Can I get something new? No. It will always be new for us. But it's not just a place of undiminished beauty. It's a place of unending blessing. Unending blessing. And there are several aspects of heaven that I want you to see. First of all, is the owner of this place. The owner of this new Jerusalem and the access that we have to Him. Please notice what this owner does. Excuse me. Verse 3. I heard a loud voice coming from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. This new Jerusalem is God's dwelling place. And He shall dwell among them. And they shall be His people and God Himself shall be among them. God Himself shall dwell. The verb used there is the same verb used about Jesus in John 1.14. John it's the same verb that points to the tabernacle. Same verb that reminds us that we are in the presence of God. So with all of the beauty and all of the splendor and all of the continuity and all of the color and all of the glory and the majesty and the size, the thing that is going to be most impressive and the thing that we are going to like the most is He is there. He is there. Not only does He dwell with us in His new holy of holies, as it were. Look at verse 4. 
and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no longer any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a great place to live. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. He has wiped it all away. Removed it completely. And that is mine, and that is any believer sitting here. That is our eternal home. Forever. That's what the owner of this place is like. That's what He does for us. He dwells with us. We are in His presence. He removes all things bad. And please notice verses 5 and 6 and 7. What type of a God He is. We already saw 5a. Behold, I am making all things new. And He said, write for these words, these words, and these two chapters are faithful and true. They are trustworthy. We can count them to be real. This in all of the explanation that John is trying to explain to us, the unexplainable, it is still true. It's not a myth. It's not an idea. It's not a dream. It's real. Because He is faithful and has promised. This is only the second time in this whole book that God sitting on the throne is speaking. Chapter 1, verse 8, and now here. Reminding us of His throne. Please notice the next verse. The first words. And He said to me, It is done. It is done. Again, the tense of the verb indicates this is a final concluding thing. I'm making all things new. Behold, it is done. From the perspective, there's nothing to be made new again. Permanently new. Forever new. Always new. Who is it that's speaking? I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Notice not only is He authoritative, not only is His Word true, not only is He the one who can carry His Word out and make it real, He is the one who gives us life. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. The gracious gift of the abundance and fullness of salvation comes from the one sitting on the throne and He gives to anybody who wishes, anybody who wants that. And not only that, He gives us an inheritance, a fullness of life. He who overcomes shall inherit these things. He who overcomes in Revelation is a believer. All believers shall inherit these things and I will be His God and He will be My Son. John 17, 3 describes for us what eternal life is like. It's not just never-ending life. That's true. But it's a fullness of life. It's a life in which we have a relationship with God. He is our God and we are His Son. We are chosen by Him. Adopted by Him. With all the privileges and responsibilities that go with that. A place of unending blessing because we have this relationship to the owner, the landlord of this place. It doesn't stop there though. I want you to notice the neighbors. See, when you move into a home, it's one of the first things you ask, isn't it? You want to know what's the neighborhood like. 
What is the people that live in our neighborhood like? Everybody knows certain neighborhoods you don't want to necessarily live there because it is a place of what? It's a place of crime. It's a place of evil. It's a place of drugs. It's whatever. Notice the neighbors. 21.8. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, immoral persons, sorcerers, idolaters, and look at the next one, all liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Same chapter, verse 27. Nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination, and he says it again, lying, shall ever come into it but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Wow. What a great neighborhood. What a great place. What a great home. What a great city. Because God guarantees that amongst all of us, there will be believers committed to and sons of God and all the list of these people and all the list of the sins that He just said those people have been judged, will be judged in the lake of fire permanently. God's justice is carried out. These people who have been unrepentant, these people who have had opportunities to trust the gospel and to trust Christ and raise their fist at God three times in this book, three times in Revelation, with all of the judgments being poured on them, Obviously from God. Knowing it is from God. They specifically say, we will not repent. We refuse to turn. And God says in the end, then you get what you want. You don't want me. You don't have to have me. The judgment of the lake that burns with fire and brimstone is the second death. The neighbors that we have. The neighbors that we have. Our fellow sons of God, fellow adopted sons of God, and the neighbors that are the ones that we would be most frightened of here, they don't listen, they don't live there. They're gone. Notice lastly, so we have this great landlord, the great neighbors is part of our unending blessing. Notice the access that we have. Isn't that one thing that we think of too? How far away is the nearest mire? How far away is the nearest Walmart? How far away is the nearest gym? We want access to things fairly easily, don't we? Notice what access we have. Chapter 22, 1-5. through five. And He showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the middle of its street. And on either side of the river was the tree of life bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And His bond servants shall serve Him. And they shall see His face and His name shall be on their foreheads. And again a reminder. There shall be no longer any night. They shall not have any need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God shall illumine them. And they shall reign forever and ever. Two things I want you to see. Number one is this river 
This river of the water of life reminds us of Ezekiel 47, reminds us of John 7, where Jesus himself says, those who trust in me will have rivers of, light, rivers of water flowing out from them to the world as they share the gospel. Here it's a river of life granting life to those people who are part of this heavenly Jerusalem. God giving his life in abundance, a river that is just never ending, flowing from the throne, reminding us that salvation is all from him. But it's not just that, it's a tree of life on both sides of the street. Constantly giving us fruit. Not different kinds of fruit that stop at one month and another month. We have all kinds of living fruit for us every single month. And the fruit will be delicious and the fruit will be perfect. A reminder that God meets our needs. Everything in heaven built for our satisfaction and for His glory. So not only do we have this tree and this river pointing to the life that we have, reminding us of the fulfillment of the promises from places like Isaiah 60 and Ezekiel 40-48. to Here also there is an opportunity to serve Him and to see Him and fellowship with Him as it says in verse 3 and in verse 5. We will reign with Him forever. Reign with Him forever. Serving Him forever. So not only do we have a great landlord, not only do we have the neighbors that are bad eliminated, but we have access to all of the fullness and all of the blessing that God wants to give to us. The fullness of life, the fullness of serving Him. So what have we seen? Heaven is a place of undiminished beauty. It's a place of unending blessing. What's the main idea I want you to get? This new Jerusalem, this new Jerusalem, this heaven coming down out of heaven, from God, down to us, on this earth, a renewed earth, not up in the sky, flowing around with angels. We are here in renewed bodies on this earth, serving Him a place of undiminished beauty, a place of unending blessings. And this is the completion of the program of God. Began in creation and is now diminished because of sin. God removes the sin, reminds us again of the fullness of life, of fellowship with Him. What a great glorious thing that is. So what does it mean for us today? How can we apply this today? Turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter 3, please. Colossians chapter 3. Paul thought this was important. Paul wanted us to remind, remind us of this on a regular basis. Colossians chapter 3. If you have been raised up with Christ, and the tense of that would say, since you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Two things. Set your mind and affection on the things above, not on things of this earth. So what I have just talked to you about, Revelation 21 and 22, is not something just for someone minutes before they die. It's not someone when they get old and start thinking, okay, I guess heaven is the next thing I can hope for. It's for all of us, all the time, to be thinking about this all the time. That's where Christ is. That's my true life. I should set my mind on that thing I should not be thinking about. I should not be focused upon. My mindset should not be down here, on the things down here with all the problems down here. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 
talks about, Paul says, I don't quit in this ministry because our outer body is being destroyed, our inner body is being renewed. And he talks about momentary light suffering and affliction. And all of us say, are you kidding me? Momentary and light? How can you say that, Paul? It's because he follows up by saying it's momentary and light because we focus on the glory that is awaiting us in heaven that is an ever-growing and increasing glory. That's the only way we can live here. And deal with the suffering here and call it momentary and light is because we have our affections up above. There's a famous phrase that people have used before in describing Christians. You know what? <clears throat> he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. Paul would reject that. Paul would reject that. Paul would say, be heavenly minded and that's how you will be earthly good. That's how you will be a blessing to people here on this earth. That's point number one. So we need to daily practice Daily practice the things that are awaiting us in heaven. Praise and worship and thanks to God, the fellowship that we will have with Him up there all the time, we need to practice it here. Secondly, turn back to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, the last verse. After Paul talking about the resurrection body and the greatness of this body and all that it's going to mean to us, he says this, 58 of chapter 15, 1 Corinthians. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Why? Because the Gospel transforms people. The ministry we can have in people's lives transforms people. Not everybody. Not everybody. Paul accepts that in 2 Corinthians 2, 14-17. He recognizes that sometimes... We are a stench, or excuse me, an aroma of death unto death. For some people of life unto life. Who is able to do such things as this? Only we as we stand sincere before God and preach the gospel, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because there's a heavenly reality, folks. And as we think about that, and as we rejoice in that, the glory and beauty of that overwhelms us. The excitement of that overwhelms us. And we want to preach the gospel. To people. Turn back to Revelation 22, because that's where the gospel presentation concludes. Revelation chapter 22, one of my favorite verses in the Bible for me to share with people, is verse 17. It says this And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. The Holy Spirit and the bride, the bride being the New Jerusalem, or if you, if you want, the church say, Come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost, the gracious gift that God gives to all of us through the Gospel, where He says, trust in Christ. Receive the gift of salvation. It's yours. Take it. Receive it. All that Christ has done for you in His death and resurrection has taken care of the sin problem. His resurrection has assured us of life. And now we trust in Him. We take the gift of salvation that He is offering to us. He's saying, come and take. Receive it. Receive it. That's what this book is saying. That's what the reminder of heaven teaches us. That's the enthusiasm that we should have. Chuck Colson has written a book. I forgot the name of the book. No, just slipped my mind. Forgive me. <laughs> And in the book, near the end of the book, he concludes uh, the story, his whole book, with a story about a young man named Rusty Woomer, who years ago grew up in a very hard situation in his home. 
with his parents. He grew up and he was into drugs. He was into all sorts of things. Rusty Woomer ended up murdering, I think, three people. Three people. He went on death row in South Carolina. A man, a chaplain came to see him as he was walking by his cell, looked into his cell, and he said, it was the worst scene in all of my years of working in the jail I had ever seen. A man living in his filth, not taking care of himself, not taking care of his cell. And he almost turned away. He couldn't stand the smell or the sight. He almost turned away. He turned and he looked at him. He could see his name. He said, Rusty, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. And he said this, hump of flesh on the ground began to move and he looked up at him. He said he could barely look at his face and he said, Jesus. And he was so shocked by the voice, he walked away and he said, I don't know what's going to happen. He came back a week later. He said, I wondered what happened. And when he came to the cell, the cell was totally clean. Rusty was shaven and had his hair cut and his face was shining. And he said, I looked to Jesus. He changed me. And in the process of going through this, the guards were transformed. The people of the jail were transformed by this young man who knew when he was going to go to heaven. Such that a person actually said, we can probably get this stopped. We can take it to the governor and get this stopped. And he said, why would you do that? I am going to heaven soon. And the enthusiasm and the transformation because of the reality of what he was seeing, that's what we should live now. Looking forward to the completion of God's program for this world, this new Jerusalem for us, our heavenly home. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the way that you have transformed us, the way that you've changed us by the gospel. We pray, Father, that we would enjoy and rejoice in and love and be enthusiastic for and excited about our future home such that people would say, what is different about you? And it's because we can say, this is not my home. I am just passing through. I am just a foreigner living here, waiting for my new home. Bless us, Lord. Give us opportunities to share that and opportunities to live that and opportunities to think about and contemplate the beauty of our heavenly home this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.